Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Cast and Crank Podcast. Today we have Danny Cadota. Um, he's a local, local to us, but has done it all, man. He has a 1904 Castaic. He has a, he worked at Loomis for a while. Did all kinds of stuff with them. Uh, lots of offshore stuff, and his his family's been very involved in it too. So he's was a great episode, man. Fun guy. He's got a new rod company coming out called I think it's Semper Rods. He talks about it on this podcast. And, uh, yeah, we had a fun time at Fishing Alliance. This one was uh, over at Dean Shop Alley Fishing Alliance. Thanks again for letting us use that when we need to, um, just to make it easier for guests so they don't have to travel far. Next thing up, I guess, is the Patreon. Remember, Piz Swimbait, if you guys want to get that riot crank, go ahead and uh, become part a Patreon member. It helps support the podcast, which everyone's doing already, so now I get to kind of uh, start getting some new equipment. It'll be great. It's uh, five bucks for a month, and you get a chance at winning a Piz Swimbait this month. That's the Patreon sponsor, Piz and Slaunch Mob. So please check that out. And that's about it. Next week, I, I got a lot of guests coming up this week, and then uh, I got to confirm people. So yeah, thanks guys for listening. If you can, please give us five stars on iTunes and a positive review. I'd appreciate that. Here's a quick little piece from my boy Fred, or from me about Fred. Thanks. Fred Clinshaw Fishing of Southern California is offering custom guided bass fishing trips for that first time fishing experience to the seasoned professional tournament angler and everything in between. Spend a half full day or a custom trip catered to your needs aboard one of the two fully rigged high performance bass boats with learning techniques used by the top pros to find fish and become more successful in catching them. Fred Clinshaw is ready 365 days a year and will professionally take you fishing. Uh, bring a friend, the family, or bring the whole group of guys with you. Fred is now guiding trips on Castaic and Casitas, two of Southern California's world-famous bass fisheries. Call or text him at 805-630-0160. Follow him on Instagram, my boy the hammer, the hammer of fury on Instagram. Or you can check out his website, www.fredclinshawfishing.com. Now, here's where the deal happens. If you mention Cast and Crank, you're going to get a deal on a half or a full day trip. Um, I'm a little biased with this guy. I'm sorry. This is my boy. Freshwater-wise, I, I got to say you got to go to him. And uh, not only you know is he an amazing fisherman, he's I don't like using the the, the word uh, he's a salt of the earth, but that that's what he is. Uh, he's, a, he's an amazing guy, nice guy. 
never make you feel fucking stupid. Um, book with him, man. He supports the podcast. If you want to support the podcast, go book with Fred. And just tell him, hey, Cast and Crank sent you. You guys will get a discount code. You're going to help both of us. And uh, that's about it, man. So, again, go check him out, fredclinchawfishing.com or 805-630-0160. Welcome to Cast and Crank Podcast. Today, we got another uh, special guest. We got to do one this pretty uh, quickly. I uh, messaged him on Instagram, and he got back to me pretty quickly, and he uh, lives by Fishing Alliance, and I do a lot of podcasts out of here. So, uh, it's Danny Cadota. So, uh, how's it going, man? Hey, good. Good, Nick. <laughs> Everything's great. <laughs> so, uh, you have a lot of history in, in so- I'm going to say Southern California fishing. Right, everything. Yeah, a little I, bit of everything. Yeah, a little bit of everything. I yeah. got to do some. I uh, was fortunate enough to do some traveling. A friend of mine got yeah. into the travel business, so got to do Brazil and Guyana and a few others that wow. are. I've got a, a few other bucket list spots. But <laughs> yeah, some of them I, I'm not quite ready to pull the trigger on, like uh, Papua New Guinea. You know, with the New Guinea bass. Wow. Yeah, what, do you, have, what do they have there? What's the well, they had that New Guinea bass. That's you know, I I was told that is the baddest fish around. Number how, one. How big do they get? They don't get real big. You know, they get in the 40s, but you know they. You would bet that they're like 200-pound fish the way they pull. Really? Uh, the problem is not that. The problem is there's still a little bit of cannibalism going out in oh, those really? islands. Yeah, they'd be eating on me for days, too. So, <laughs> hey, I'm a, you know, they'd be licking their chops. I said, I'm going to stay out of there for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> one day. One day, maybe. <laughs> they, uh, do, do they have a guided trip down there, though? Yes, they do. They, they do. do, yeah. Oh, wow. uh, friend of mine, Steve, you told me, Angler's uh, Travel Alliance. Okay. You know, yeah. His, his stuff is phenomenal. Steve runs his trips, and it's turnkey from the time you leave, you know, your des- you know your home home airport, you know, and you end up down in either Brazil or Guyana or whatever. Yeah. It's phenomenal, you know. But that's that's been a treat over the years to, to no, do all I the No, I bet travel. everything you've done, you've done it, you've done it all, right? Uh, to rock no, building, I, to what, what haven't you oh, really? Yeah, no, I mean, no, I, I've, I've got into it. You know, I'll tell you, Nick, I've been very blessed being around some great, great people. You know, from uh, started out basically in sport fishing, and, and actually, I can go back further than that. I started out fishing with my grandparents mm-hmm. when I was four years old. You know, so and then uh, as a young kid, I used to get in a lot of trouble. So my dad, <laughs> my dad, you know, got tired of swatting me. Finally, he said, "Listen, you can stay out of trouble, get good grades. You go fishing with Grandpa and Grandma every Saturday." And so, you know what? That was it. That was it. I, you know, popped my grades, stayed out, of, stayed out of trouble. And every uh, Thursday night, my grandpa would call my dad and say, you know, how'd he do? And he goes, he was doing good because he wants to go fish, right? So <laughs> Friday after school, he picked me, picked me up. We'd go, uh, uh, we'd go pick up my grandma. We'd drop grandma off. She'd start making the old bento lunch, you know. Yeah. Oh, and then yeah. Uh, we would go either half-day fishing, uh, you know, fishing the piers, fishing the barges, you know, back in those days. And then uh, grandpa and I would go off to Millie's. Sporting okay. Visitors was over in Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. and we'd go get the tackle for where we were going, you know, and then he would get me, we called it the Green Sheet, which was the early Western Outdoor News back in those days. What year was this? Uh, this is in like 59. Wow. 1959. Yeah. Man. And, you know, by the, by the time I was four, though, and at, at four I was uh, trout fishing, and I was tying my own knot. So, you know, and back then it was just an improved cinch, but, you know, I was still self-sufficient. I could work a stream, you know, figure out the currents and and all that stuff played 
apart and <laughs> where we're at with bass fishing and saltwater fishing, whether you're fishing at Cortez or setting up, you know, offshore somewhere, you know. Were you um, a primarily like a, a saltwater guy in the beginning? Or um, were you a freshwater guy? I like? was a, I, you know, I, I, trout fishing was probably my, my first, I just love the trout fish, stream fish, reading currents, the undercuts. You know, my grandparents taught me not to cast a shadow on the spots. So there's, there's certain things that I implemented even then that I would use later when I was freshwater bass fishing, you know, the stealthy approach. Do you, you think know? that the trout fishing helped you build, build that like a foundation? You I, know what I'm saying? You know, I think, I think everything does. Okay. I think, you know, when, you, when you're looking at any sport trying to figure out how you're going to tweak it and improve it, you know, um, and, and, you know, it just goes to show the depth of, you know, uh, angler that we deal with here in Southern California, you know, we yeah. got real specialists. But when when your heart's in it, your heart's in it 100. percent It's it's tough because you're out there going to innovate. You're going to be constantly thinking, and you're surrounded then by people that are like that. And I've been very blessed being around great great fishermen all my life. As things escalated, you know, uh, I was always you know in the right crowd with the mm-hmm. right group of people that winged me out. You know, do that. So, like, by the time I, when I was five, I got my first shelltail on the horseshoe. Oh, so, you know, it was, yeah, it was, it was, I remember barracuda was so thick, it was ridiculous. And they were all the logs, you know, the tails would be yeah. sticking out of the sacks at eight, ten inches, you know, they're all the big wow. stuff, you know. So, I mean, it was just great. Yeah. Just great growing up. And then, but, uh, you know, it was fishing that and it kept me out of trouble. Yeah, yeah. That seems like the story for a lot of, a lot of people that just come on. And it's, I guess it's different for me since I'm old. Well, I started when I was fucking old. You know, I was already, <laughs> I was already 30 years old. I'm, I just turned 40, so okay. it's like my career's only... Th- I'm very young in fishing. Yeah. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, well, that's okay. It's the intensity level that you come yeah, in at. Oh, you know, I, I, and your <laughs> propensity to learn. You know, yes. that's the biggest Yeah, biggest I try to keep my ears open and uh, take as much information as I can. But um, you have a couple... Re- you did hold a couple record, records, right? Line class? Uh, yeah, still it still stands. In, okay, uh, the twenty pound class, and I was caught on crowdhead with. Okay, uh, you know, it put you in the twenty pound class, but I was fishing ten pound at the time. It was Trilene XT. Okay, but uh, on the machines it would break at sixteen, so they pump you into the next class. Okay, yeah. Oh, I had to round up. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, but I mean, we're you know we fished down to, at the lowest I would fish maybe six pound. But it didn't give me a lot of comfort uh, fishing six pound if you hooked a big, big fish. Well, and I hooked what's a the biggest? Of yeah, what's the biggest fish you hooked? It was, was nineteen oh four, but but, but no, uh, on six pound. Oh, on six, I I think uh, six. I think like thirteen something was oh the biggest I got on six. Yeah, I try not to fish it too much because you know the likelihood of hooking a bigger fish. You know, you'd be you'd be swimming. It's like going out there today, <laughs> fishing the bluefin. You know, and you got the cows out there, and you yeah. hook one on forty or fifty. You know, you yeah. know what? Yeah, that's pretty thin. You know, <laughs> it's pretty tough. So you know, all the stars have to be lined up right and everything for you to land that fish. So you want to give yourself a a a, a good, you know, really good chance at landing it. And with the eight and ten pound, I knew that I could pull hard enough. And then we were fishing like saltwater fishermen, unlike a lot of bass fishermen at the time. So I was pulling a little harder. I put took a little more out of my reels and my rod. Did you have yeah. so so you had a group of a group of guys everyone was kind of doing the same thing Oh yeah time, right? yeah In everyone fact, was chasing that big fish Oh everybody was chasing the big fish okay. you know and 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 this uh, is what year Uh I started doing that in the well probably 83 80, you know 82 83 Who turned you, know, you on to that Well we we my my cousin actually 
the first bass that we started it got me hooked on we were up at lake lopez because my mm -hmm. grandparents were up there in uh, nipomo and uh took me up to lopez and he got me on a topwater bite and that hooked me and then through high school we started bass fishing and it was in the early days you know you 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 go buy a trolling motor we had what was called the lawrence green box mm -hmm. you know so we had to haul a battery on a on a rental boat and, and we were running around doing all this stuff and we were strictly fishing tournament type fishing you know fishing okay. crank plugs uh bagley db3s and and uh, uh bb3s we used to make our own spinner baits and we used to make the first ones with the uh, Barbarians did before they even really? manufactured them, you know, but in plastic worms and top waters, you know, with rapalas and stuff like that. And so we got into it. And then, you know, at lunchtime, we'd kick back and we go, you know, like a friend of mine, Freddie Ichikawa, would, um, and I used to fish with Taka, Tanaka, mm -hmm. and uh, and I weaned under Taka as a captain. I don't know if a lot of guys knew that, but yeah, for years. And he was, you know, really my mentor of all time. But we would sit there and take a break, put in one anchor out, and we'd fish the crawdads. And all of a sudden, we'd fish for while we're eating lunch, throw the crawdads out, and we're catching bigger fish than we are all day. And we're throwing cranks and everything. So, no, wait a second. Are we trying to catch big fish? <laughs> you know. And, and at this time, it, it yeah. wasn't as much as like a freshwater. It wasn't. It didn't matter what you caught it on, just the biggest fish right, kind of thing. Okay, right, at this right. time, it was and, more and, of a... And it was competitive because we had all the San Diego guys, all the San Diego captains mm -hmm. that were bass fishing, the Buzzies, the okay. Ray Monteras, the Sansom brothers, you know, uh, Nick, the Irv, there's a whole bunch of them. So it was very competitive. Off, off, it was probably more competitive on the lakes than it was on the <laughs> ocean. You know, it's crazy, <laughs> but, you know, that's the way we were. Yeah. And so, you know, in doing so... And by double anchoring, we assessed that, you know, it's just like the ocean. You know, there's a current in lakes like Casitas and Castaic. And most people, 90% 90, 90 of them had no idea there was current. Do you, you, think, you think that helped, that helped you because, because you were fishing the ocean and you were on uh, boats a lot. You used some of that and were like, well, there's oh, something to this. And oh, you had no. to. Okay. Absolutely. Think, yeah. about, think about going out to Cortez Bank, uh -huh. okay? You got the current going one way at the bank. If you're at the wrong end and not the leading end where the bait's coming into it, you know, that's where the fish are going to stratify. Well, it's no different on a point at a lake. And, you know, where Castaic, you have, you have water generated for electricity. It's coming down from Pyramid, mm -hmm. and then it's pumped back up, right? So you got constant movement of water. And if you're not anchored correctly, and the, if you cast out straight out on a spot thinking that the point's in line with that and the current moves it off 20 feet and you don't see that, you're not fishing the spot. Okay. So you make adjustments by either anchoring above it, casting out and letting it drift down to that spot or adjusting by maybe putting a split shot on and getting it down to that particular piece of structure. And it was structure on structure with respect to current, similar to what we we're doing on the ocean. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a random deal. You know, you're anchoring, yeah. you know, like Catalina, yeah. Clemente, or Cortez, or wherever it might be. Your angle, you know, and everything. Yeah, that, that, that makes all the difference, knowing and understanding. But there's, you know, now, I talk to my brother in these electronic units they have, and I mean, this is <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, they draw you a picture, you know, like, and I'll give you an example. Hey, is that cheating to you? Uh, no, <laughs> no. You know why? Because we were the first ones to use the <laughs> color scanning sonars. It gave us a huge edge. No, we'll take whatever we get yeah. for advantage. But I mean, now you know, like, if it was back in the old days, this is before GPS to get on okay. like the sixty mile bank. You got a fifty fathom, fifty fathom spot, and if you missed it, it's it was tough because it's deep all around it. Well, 
when you hit 50 fathoms, man, we just dumped the anchor. And, you know, you waited, you chummed it up, and you waited for the bluefin to come to you. You know, I'm talking to my brother. He says, oh, no, no, no. We set up in between. He says, it, it draws this picture. It's actually a canyon. So you're sitting in the canyon. It's like a highway, right? Mm-hmm. You get So the guy that has position alpha sitting between this canyon where you're stratified, you know, you, you got the, the high spots on both sides. Of yeah. It. You know, it's like a highway. Mm-hmm. So it's not by luck. You know, fishing, consistent fishing has nothing to do with luck. It's doing your, your due diligence, your and homework. And your homework, yeah, right? That's I it. mean, you did a lot of That's homework. What, did a lot of homework, you know. And it's not only homework prep. I used to get home, changed my line every night when I was bass fishing. Really? Every night, and I sharpened hooks. I sharpened hooks. This is before a lot of the, the super sharp hooks that yeah. you're getting out. Yeah, So I would sharpen them, put in a, a special edge on them. So you go through a bunch. But, I mean, it was, it was a lot of work. And then I kept 100 dozen crawdads. And I had 10 dozen each pen, and every night you had to change the water because it would stink. You oh, know? So, so you, you had to raise the crawdad. No, I'd, I'd buy them. Well, we used to catch them at one time, okay. but then I, we were using so many. We'd go over to Taka's stack, you know, and he used to have the bait supply, and he'd pick them out. And then we'd cure them much in the same way we cure bait on our boats, mm-hmm. right? You got your front takes. I never dumped all the shoots on all of them. You know, you got your chum bait you put on the back that you're throwing on the day use. And you keep moving all the healthier stuff, the cured stuff, to the front. Mm-hmm. So when you get in a touchy bite, you got that cured bait. And, man, the guys that know how to fish, you know, that bait hits the water and it goes down and away, it's gone. You know? Yeah. Well, it's the same way with the crawdad. You get a hot crawdad. That crawdad is your eyes underwater, right? They will tell you when a bass is there. So when I was, when I was <laughs> filming TV shows, yeah. you know, I'd tell the guys, listen, I do not believe in staging. I'm not going to stage a thing. Some of these guys would do stuff like that. They catch a fish beforehand and then stage it. I, I talked said, to Troy Linder about that yeah, a little. Yeah. Like he said, he 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 filmed and so they they do people do like yo some of those guys stunt saw. fish. They have yeah. stunt fish. Yes, yeah, so, so I won't do that. I won't do that. I mean, I just have a different yeah, that yeah. I grew up with, right? So I says you got to catch it live, and they go, oh, we can't run the film that long. I said you won't have to. The reason at you that said, time. You told him, I'm that good. No. <laughs> no, but I had I had the tackle. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that was the thing is having the first graphite scrim rods with Loomis. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they could tell you the crowd would have a different cadence when it, you know, it's thump, 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 and it's just swimming down naturally. Mm-hmm. But when it there's a fish, when there's a bass there, it's a panic thump, right? It's taking off. So it's an erratic thump. And so I would tell the guys, all right, turn the camera on, you know. And they turn it on so they would get the live hook sets in the whole fight, you know. Wow. And, and then the other thing is they go, oh, God, play that thing out. We want to play this thing. I said, uh-uh. No. <laughs> I'm short stroking this thing and I'm going yeah. to put it on the boat, yeah. you know. And so there's different things that we conflicted on with or between the saltwater and freshwater market, you know. But my whole thing was just using the technology, using our techniques that we implemented in the ocean. You just told them get ready then, when they have yeah, to. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's yeah, it's going to be makes, quick. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Yep. Um, so who were you fishing with at this time, like doing the big bass thing? I had a number of great fishing partners. Like I said, I started out uh, in high school with um, some of my high school brothers, uh, Glenn Murakami, Craig mm-hmm. Ogino, Brian, you know, Katoka, these guys. And he used to do my rod wrapping and my saltwater stuff. And then as I got into college and stuff, I, and, and on the boat with the Mustang, I fished with uh, – 
Taka, Fred Ichikawa. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a n- numerous number of guys. My mechanic, my boat mechanic, they did all my diesel work, Harold, what, you know. Yeah. But we fished with a lot of great people, a lot of friends. I've been, you know, my old deckhands. I know Brian was very young, Kiyohara, mm-hmm. and he, fi- uh, you took him crowded fishing, but I fished uh, with a lot of my old captains, yeah. st- you know, Steve Tanaka, Marty Tom, my brother. You know, and good friends. Rick Fujisaki, another one of my captains. You know, yeah, we yeah. we stayed with. I, I fish with my friends because I go out there number one to fish for enjoyment. As we started catching more and more trophy fish, then you know, uh, you know the writers would want to go out you know, they, when we were filming shows. Yeah, and the one thing that we were accused of back then was. Oh, these guys are using trout. They're using this, and they, I used to get mad. So I said, you know what? Okay, look, we're gonna we're gonna film it because we're gonna catch it live. Because I want to put this in their face, you know. So they were saying you're rigging up trout, throwing them yeah, out. Yeah, but what do they call them? Uh, Arizona anchovies? <laughs> <laughs> you know they, Kelly Popo? No, Kelly, no. <laughs> he he told me that. Oh. He's a, he's another well good, really good. I've <laughs> I've seen guys. The one thing that I did, I made sure I had a rod that was. Heavy enough, it was too heavy to fish for a trout and too light to throw a trout, you know. So, you know, we fished mainly the 6 to 10, 12-pound rods, you know, for crawdads. That you way, you, when they came on, if everyone saw yeah. you come off, you're like, well, what am I going to throw on? And you then we're, we're a higher profile. So, you know, and then it just my my own morality. It says, you know what, I'm going to do it legally. We're not, we don't need to do that. But people and were was, doing it. All people were doing that. I, yeah. And a lot of those guys had caught one big fish and never caught another one. Because they either had to take out a right or everything, never replicated it. So shame on them. You know, yeah. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't consistently produce them. So that, that was the other telltale sign. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, no, it was, and, and the fact was that I knew that uh, what we were doing. You want to turn the mic up just a little? Oh, okay. Yeah, just turn it like you can just push it up. Push it up like yeah, that. Yeah, perfect. Ah, okay. All <laughs> right. Okay, there we go. Magic. <laughs> but, yeah, no, uh, you know. Fishing, uh, you know, fishing for those big fish it took a lot of dedication, mm-hmm. right? And I just wanted to put it in their face that, you know what, the fact of the matter is those big, big fish, when they hit their prime weight in, in Southern California, it's usually anywhere from December through February and March, okay? By the time, and after that, once they dump their eggs, they don't have that magic weight anymore, yeah. you know, because there's a tremendous amount of weight in the egg development. So in that time period... They're too fat to catch a, a free-swimming trout. So mm-hmm. that's not normal anyway. And, and then number two, biologically, that bass needs the calcium and cholesterol that crawdad for the egg development. So that's why it became, you know, something that was necessary. And I used to try to get them in the pre-spawn where they're coming out of the deep water haunts. And we're stratified where I'm anchored shallower, thrown out to the structure. Mm-hmm. Once the fish moved in, like in March, it was the opposite. We'd sit out in deeper water and throw into the structure. You know, so we had a different, uh, you know, mentality on that. You know, we, it was fun developing all that, you know, and seeing, you know, uh, seeing what was more consistent. And I, I will tell you something. There are no rules because every time you think you, you have it <laughs> figured out. Have you down, figured huh? out? Yeah, they give you the fin, you know. Yeah. And so that. Uh, Do you think there's still a, a big one in there? You know, that was the other blessing we had was it was the first generation cross between the northern bass that were here nor uh you know, originally in California, uh-huh. the first cross between the northern bass and the Floridas that they put in. Mm-hmm. And that strain, the first mix, you got the attributes of both strains, you know, the aggressiveness out of the northern, but the size out of the Florida. 
unfortunately, the size out of Florida made it so they they were less apt to eat artificials. So it's it's there's a reason why you didn't catch many of those big ones on the you know on the artificials. I I was lucky enough to get one on a, on a crank plug once. Okay. And it it was because the guy was putting it right in my face. <laughs> and I, other than that, I was anchored by myself. Yeah. And and this guy named it was a guy named Colin Waters. Okay. And I was anchored up by myself at Castaic, and I'm catching fish, and um, no big ones. And he comes around, he says, he's on his trolling motor, and he's throwing a crank plug. He's throwing a, a pole plug, right? And and uh, he starts sticking fish. He says, hey, first he asked, which was cool, and I knew who he was. I said, yeah, sure, go ahead. I'm throwing bait. What the yeah, heck? You yeah. Know? So he, he starts firing this pole plug around. He sticks like a six. Then he sticks about an eight. I'm going... Okay, now how smart am I? I'm sitting here, I'm still throwing. I'm, first, I was with a crawdad because that was yeah. my go-to. Yeah. Then I went to, back then, we used to legally use mudsuckers, and they had water hooks, so we had this big array of bait. So we okay. spent a lot of money on bait, right? And so I changed a mudsucker, swim down. If it didn't swim down, down and away, like you're fishing a chovy for bluefin, if it didn't go down and away, I would change it, you know? And But I'm not getting bit. And he mm. kept sticking these fish on, on the crank. So I go, all right, dang it. I cut off my bait hooks. And I had a, a DB3, a Tennessee Shad, okay. a Bagley DB3, Tennessee Shad, and I tied it on there. And I, I only had a 10-pound and 12-pound rod. I just had bait sticks in the boat. Mm-hmm. So my first cast, I backlashed the heck out of it because it's not used to throwing <laughs> yeah, anything yeah. that heavy, right? Some trip no, I wind it, yeah, I wind it back. <laughs> then I throw one outside my spot, the high spot, nothing. The third one, the third cast I threw on the other side of it, and it just stopped it. And Colin's there watching. He goes, you got a good one. I said, yeah, it feels like a good one. You know, <laughs> feels like a good one. So we start fighting. It starts coming up the surface. And I put the rod tip down so it doesn't jump. You know, when the head kind of comes out, we look. We see, you know, it's it's over 10, right? And so he says, you want me to net it for you? I said, no, no, I'll get it. I'll get it. So anyway, I, I, I got that the one on crank. And it was 11.4. Wow. But, you know, nice. I never would have caught that fish because unless I saw him sticking those fish, fish on the artificial st- in front of me mm-hmm. i want to f- switch from my go-to live baits to a crank so like anything you have to adjust it's like going tuna fishing on a daily basis mm-hmm. you got to have the right baits it's just like what we what, what you got on the walls here right yeah, yeah you know i started fishing some of these baits that dean's got you know for the first time and i was amazed and i youtube i not youtube but i excuse me gopro this yeah and you know, I didn't have any small fish. You know, they were all they were all big fish, and I, you know, with the fish, I've never thrown a baits like that. Yeah. It was on this prototype rod I'm building right now, uh-huh. and so it was perfect. But you know, it's going into the tackle shops, finding out what's new, what's hot, keeping abreast, having a nice network of friends that will share information, and I, and I emphasize share information because there's some people out there that just want information, they don't give it. They'll give misinformation. Yeah, so you'll find out your good fishing buddies are the ones that give you straight dope. They'll give you the straight information on what's going on. And so a lot of times, even with those those days when I was bass fishing, I would would get home. First call was to all my friends because I credit them for the assistant on that, for the information they But you had that, that group of guys that I'm sure a lot of them caught. Oh, yeah. Too, yeah, yeah. Mean, so it's they were like all great fishermen, guys like Corky Yokoi. And, and uh-huh. here's a guy that, you know, at the time, too, had a world record for a yellowfin. Wow. It's not luck. They're great fishermen. Yes. Corky's yes. an excellent fisherman. He's an innovator, just like uh, there's guys like Jimmy Lou that I fished mm-hmm. with. He used to fish with me every okay. week. 
He's one of the greatest fishermen, too. Yeah, fisherman of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he caught these big fish on a single speed. And Jimmy weighs maybe 110 pounds, <laughs> 110 pounds totally wet. Yeah. So it was all technique and finesse and, you know, just just, just a marvel to watch these guys. Mm-hmm. And I used to fish with these kind of guys every week. Wow. And to tell you about Jimmy, here's, here's a story. He fished every Sunday with two different groups of mine, charters. Okay. So I saw him every single Sunday. And every Sunday... This guy was a tackle, tackle shop owner's dream. Every Sunday, he would bring out, I would go into his box. I wouldn't even ask him. I'd zip, just flip the top open, and i look. i go, there it is. He had something new. Yeah. How many fishermen you know go to that extent to try new every things fish. every single week? Would he commit himself to that, too, when he's oh, on the boat? He just agree, he's a great fisherman. Wow. It's a, and it was a mentality that yeah. the guys that we grew up with, we were very, again, we were very blessed with, like Corky and Taka and mm-hmm. all these guys. We were very innovative, you know. Um, we talked about, uh, like, knots. We were around people like Joe Miller, who s- spent 10 days on a 10-day trip where we got blown in. He was just playing with a knot, developed this knot, and then Miller knot. You know, to this day, that's what I caught my bass on. Mm-hmm. Um, I still use it for my tuna, for my hooks, okay. you know. Um, but, I mean, you're around a bunch of these people that have always taken it to the limit a little bit further. They mm-hmm. keep pushing that edge, that envelope, you know. They just, they're on top of it. And that, that's what it takes, you know. And you get that from being around these great tackle shops, you know, over the years, too. It, it, it creates and breeds guys that you are think, uh, innovative. You think that... W- that uh, I had this question for a couple people. So now that we have like Tackle Warehouse and Amazon, do you think a lot of that camaraderie you're missing that from oh, uh, tackle shops? There's, there's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like I just told you, and I mean, most of these guys, you know, um, the independent tackle shops and the guys that the specialists, you know, mm-hmm. um, these are the guys that need to have the business too. You know, um, they. They have the guys coming in and out. And, you know, I'm sure you didn't tell you any of these guys. You know, all of a sudden, if even if the guys are tight-lipped, if things start moving off the shelf and if he's watching what's going on, <laughs> there's no coincidence why that particular bait or this color is working, right? It's somebody's doing their homework. And that's homework has a lot to do with it. You know, your fish yeah. preparation, I don't care whether you're trout fishing the Sarahs or whatever. And the commitment to be innovative and to try different things, mm-hmm. those are things that will always keep those that echelon of fishermen, you know, on top. So you can kind of see a, a great fisherman when you see they're trying to do something different. Oh, absolutely. You know, not not absolutely. throwing the same bait every time. Right. Like, to you, you're, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, they're always trying different things, you know. They're going out, you go outside the box. Yeah. You go outside the box. Especially you nowadays, you have to think that way. I yeah. Mean, so there's a lot yeah. of pressure, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's nice because, you know, like on, on my pro staff, I got, a, I got a mix of old school guys with younger kids. And the younger guys are the ones that are like where we were when I was mm-hmm. that age. They're out there fishing any puddle of water, <laughs> you know, and they're pulling fish out of it. Yeah. Because their heart's in it, you know. Yeah. And probably fishing lighter lines more sophisticated they innovate mm-hmm. you know so that's the next generation that come up you know mm-hmm. but a good good fisherman's always compelled to keep keep their eyes open you know yeah as, as a skipper on the boat you know um i would sit up there i i would once a bite got going i'd get up on the bait tank and i watch i'd watch and i'd help build the bite see that was the other thing you could do is you can you can build the bite by the way you chum 
and a lot of that's missing now. The young guys are just throwing bait in the water. That's not that's not the way you can. There's actually, a way to do it. There's a way to do wow. it to develop the bait. You yeah. know, and when we commercial albacore fish, you'd you'd fill the holes. You know where the lip holes are coming out from the rack, and then and then you know you just have to read the water. Mm-hmm. You have to read the water. You have to see what's going on there. You know, and. Uh, now that I'm old and I just fished you know, a couple of long range trips and stuff like that, you know, I don't have that. You still have the younger guys, you yeah. know. And you know, you know what you could have done back in the day, but you know, you just kinda of chuckle and go, you know what? <laughs> I'm not that guy anymore. Right. I'm the guy that comes out you know, once in a while. If I backlash and break one off and I did that on one of my last <laughs> eight days. You know, we uh, perfect, you know, these we pull up on a spot of bluefin the first day of the eight there. And uh you know, we got jigs on, you know, flat, uh-huh. flat falls and stuff, so I fire out, you know. And the, I run up to the bow. I want to get away from each other. Get up. They start putting the bait, and all of a sudden, the, the fish start popping on the surface. And here I got a flat fall. I go, doggone it. I'm thinking to myself, I should have fly lined to Dean, right? Yeah. And so, because I'm at, right at the anchor, and I flip it out, and I'm kind of upset because I'm watching fish boil around. I'm not paying attention. And this fish eats me on the sink and backlashes it. It's so embarrassing oh, man. because I'm sitting there watching the fish boiling, <laughs> not want, paying attention to my reel. Yeah. And I, you know, bus, I break off a fish and I go, well, that was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Would work, maybe. Oh, yeah. You know. oh, yeah. You just, you know, it's just one you of those things. Know. Yeah. And that's, that's the difference between when you're running a boat every yeah. day and, and you're now a passenger, right? And now I can get out there and I enjoy being with the the group that a fisherman and then the stress help. of thinking yeah. oh my gosh we oh yeah or we oh the yeah numbers. yeah um yeah let's talk about the day you caught that 1904 right that was unbelievable yeah you know and then let me i'll credit corky yokoi okay. and um uh, uh corky one of the network guys that we're talking to had been fishing during his christmas break because his son kyle who's he does a lot of stuff with dimer mm-hmm. anyway kyle was out of school so they they went bass fishing. And so, you know, generally, I don't get excited till they start eating the crawdads. Okay. Well, up until mid-December or so, or right around Christmas time, the Christmas break, mm-hmm. they were on a shad bite. And you were getting the tournament guys back there uh, jigging spoons and stuff and get, occasionally getting a 10-pounder, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, didn't get me excited. Now, Corky goes up in Christmas break. And whack some fish on the crowd. That's nice four to six pound, maybe even a little bit bigger. And so I go, oh, it's on, right? So I get everything ready. And uh, this is January 3rd. January 2nd, it snows at Castaic. The grapevine is closed. It's closed down to Lake Hughes, okay, mm-hmm. which is the exit for Castaic. Yeah. But if you take Parker Road, the road before. So I called the 7-Eleven. I said, hey, is the back way open? He says, yeah. I says, okay, great. So I called Taka, and he brings his boat up. I, I bring my boat. I was fishing with his son. Okay. He was fishing with a friend of mine, Kelvin. And so we were the two of the four boats. There were only four boats on Castaic that okay. day, and it was cold. And <laughs> people see pictures of me, you know, holding that fish. And we're, you know. I had a beanie on, you know, we're bundled <laughs> up. We had special clothing, you know, because you're I running. I just wanted to look cool. Oh, oh, no, no. Yeah, we were cool, that's for sure. But, you know, yeah, we had special gear for yeah. running in that cold weather because, you know, when you're running 70 miles an hour, you know, yeah. and it's 30 degrees, yeah, you freeze. So you have to have the face shields. Mm-hmm. And your clothing has to be all tricked out, right? So anyway, sure enough, we get into a crawdad bite. The first part that Marty and I anchor on, 
you know, there's a tree in 18 feet of water, and it's on a secondary point, but that point's the one that goes out in the middle of, we call it, uh, I'll call it Crap House. There's a different name for it. <laughs> Crap House Cove. Yeah. Okay. And that runs out to the middle. There's a high spot out there. But on the inside, there was a tree in 18 feet. Mm-hmm. And so I straddled that. And, um, you know, we started catching fish on it. And they're like four to six pound fish. But I stick this one. It stops the rod and it walks. And then the hooks, it hook on buttons. Yeah. So I'm going, looking at Marty. I said, that, that was a good one, mm-hmm. you know. So we meet, talk at lunchtime to compare what's going on, and they're having a better day than us. We had, I forget how many fish we had, but they were all that four to six pound fish. Yeah. They're all quality fish. Yeah. And Taka had more fish than we did. Got it? So we're running around, finally around three o'clock, and we get kicked off at four because it's not much, you know, they kick you off the lake early. Winter time. Yeah, winter yeah, time. Okay. Sun goes all down right. early, right? So we said, well, let's go back. We'll go fish that spot again. You know, they dumped the fish on, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I, you know, yeah, we talked to Taka. We met for him. Confer was going on yeah, around lunchtime. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? And then we found out, you know, he had all the same thing, like yeah. four to eight pound fish, and he had more fish than we did. And so uh, we go back to the spot. It was about three something. I'd straddle the spot, and um, so the trees right in between Marty and I, and we're sitting in. I think it was twelve feet, throwing out to eighteen feet, and so Marty fires down the left side of the tree. I fire down the right side of the tree. And he's bit immediately. He gets a nice six-pounder, right? Mm-hmm. So I lay my rod down. And I net this fish. I come back. I pick up my rod. And my crowd is jumping. I said, Marty, there's one looking at us. And I goes, thump. I stick it. And it just stops. The rod, top, the rod tip just stops and starts walking slow. I go, this is a nice fish, Marty. Yeah. This is a good one, I think, you know. Well, I, try to, I put some heat on it because it's going at the tree. And it kind of turns to the right. And it starts going down straight under uh, my bow anchor and then turns and go, comes under the boat and I short stroke it and I said Marty get ready it's coming straight up come straight up I mean it was quick this is mm-hmm. only a couple minutes right and he gets a net and he nets it and he goes oh crap <laughs> and uh, again I'll say crap you and, cuss I, and I'm you going you cuss if you'd like no 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 I, you know, <laughs> I try not to there might be little ones out there yeah. so anyway he, he nets and I think, oh, what was it, a catfish? He goes, uh, no. <laughs> I go, it's not a catfish. And I look down, I go, oh, blank. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, that was in 1904, you know. So wow. we put it in the wild. I mean, we took some pictures, and uh, it's time to get off the lake. So we run back to Taka, and uh, <laughs> and we uh, tell him, he said, we've got a good one. He goes, well, you better not put it in my name. And this is another story. And I said, no, and Marty goes, no, I don't think he will, Dad. <laughs> and so we show him the bass, and he calls me, uh, you bass hole, you know. <laughs> anyway, anyway, what, what happened, the, the funny part with that is a couple of weeks before, a friend of ours were at, they were at Casitas, mm-hmm. and it was kind of taboo to catch a catfish. It was kind of a joke, right? Okay. So a friend sticks this catfish, and he keeps, he keeps it. He goes, what are you keeping that for? It's a, like 20-pound catfish, right? Uh-huh. Well, he goes up. He goes up to the dock at Casitas, and Western Outdoor News used to have all the big fish of the oh. week, right? So he'd weigh it in. He goes, oh, say, what's your name? He goes, Taka Tanaka, going apart, <laughs> right? So when it comes, the paper comes out, here's Taka's name for a catfish. But well, we cracked up. We just cracked up. But, I mean, yeah. That's hilarious. It was funny. We used to play jokes and have so much fun back then. Yeah. But, was, but you know, 
year amongst the crowd are great fishermen and i credit all my friends and the guys that were that we all networked with for information so that did you have to go weigh that in or did you just it wasn't yeah a, you had to be certified you, it you had, had to be, certified. yeah it had to be certified do you yeah. have a uh, amount of that oh yeah you do oh That's yeah cool yeah i do yeah i do and that was a year it was um it was really ironic because uh in november december bassin magazine had this contest for the big bad it was called the big bass world championship mm-hmm. and all these guys were said I, I never got the magazine so i i pick up a copy and it had an entry form in it it was like if you buy Ma- bass and magazine you win twenty five thousand for the biggest bass of the year oh, you know from january to december yeah. 31st right for the whole year and it's for the, it's nationally right and um if you bought their crappie magazine, they doubled it to 50000 mm-hmm. So I said, all right, I'll buy both of them. So you buy both of them, get the entry. I send it in. Now, this is the first week in January, January 8th. Okay. I stuck that fish. I'm thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, I know I'm going to be up there. Yeah. If not in there, right? Yeah. And so shortly after that, I get this letter back from the postmaster at Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's where Bassin Magazine uh-huh. was, right? It says, sorry, it brings back my check that's cut in half and the application cut in half. They say, sorry, we have to disavow this entry, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, what are the odds of that? Was it? Yeah. And to this day, that's the only paper that's ever, the ever, envelope that I've ever got back that that happened to, coincidentally. You know, so I got, I got kind of upset. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And I said, you know what, the heck with it. I started fishing my behind off. And I was fishing sometimes five days a week. To try to get something close to that. Oh, yeah, for the whole year. Okay. You know, um, I fished close to 300 days that year. I mean, that concluded, that also included my saltwater fishing, trout, everything, where you, right? Where did you live at this time? Uh, out in La Palma. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so you were far from yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. So it was a way, you know, it was, still, it was really only about an hour and ten minutes to cast yeah. take anyway, you know. But, you know, I was fishing, and I was coming home every night, reloading with bait and going back, you know. And we fished all over. And, and it was in December, December 15th. It was my sister's birthday, and mm-hmm. I was with a friend, Glenn Murakami. He was my uh, Friday fishing partner. Mm-hmm. And we anchor up on one spot, and Glenn, first cast, he gets a 10-something. Second cast, 6-something. I can't even get bit. Yeah. Then he gets an 8, you know. Oh, and man. I get like a pound and a half fish. And I go, well, you know, Glenn, <laughs> this is your day. He was smoking me big time. Yeah. So right around lunchtime, where the, you know, we, we anchored up, and we're having lunch. And I get bit, and I catch 
a 15-4, right? And as it turns out, that one, actually, I beat a guy out in Texas to win that uh, big basketball championship, and that was December 15th. Well, you won it. I won it, yeah. With, oh, wow. With, uh, was it 15, 16 days to go, right? The contest went so from January So one year previously than that, you count a 19. Yeah, but they, just, they didn't allow that. So this well, is the but same. You, but you have it Yeah, documented. that was earlier in the year, right. So you have a 19 and a 15 out of Oh, yeah, State. no, I have, I've got an 18 and three-quarter out of oh, State the year shit. before that. You know, so I was... I was fishing hard. I was pretty consistent. You had a lockdown. You had an idea what you needed yeah, to do. Yeah, and, and again, I got to credit my friends because we all shared information. And uh, Who has the biggest out of the lake? Uh, you know, Krupe, Bob Krupe. And, 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 and it was funny because uh, Bob Krupe used to fish with one of my groups. So he would stay up, you know, in the whale, come up in the whales, keep me up. So, we, you know, while I'm driving, all we do is talk bass. And later on, we did a video, that bodacious bass video, mm-hmm. you know, um, one of the other great fishermen that uh, used to ride with me was a group from San Bernardino, a guy named Gil Rowe. Okay. Well, Gil at one time owned five out of the six spotted bass records, wow. IGFA spotted bass records, and he got it walking the shore at Lake Paris. And Gil's uh, another one, another mm-hmm. phenomenal saltwater fisherman, fly fisherman, does it all. He caught his fish at Paris from shore. That's amazing. You know, tremendous fisherman. Yeah. You know, yeah. but I was lucky enough to have these kind of guys on the boat and they would come up the wells and we'd, you know, sh- shoot all the stories around while on, on my, on my, you know, night watch. And, you know, we, we'd talk bass the whole time we're out chasing tuna, you know, so it was, <laughs> it was amazing. You know, it was around yeah. a, a bunch of really neat, neat guys. So, yeah. Yeah. Did you, uh, so you were, you were still fishing salt at that time? Oh, I'm still running water. the boat. Yeah, okay. still running still the, boat. the boat. Yeah, I didn't get off the boat till '92 when I uh, got married, and I said, and that at that point I went to go work. Um, I got asked to work by Gary Loomis to be his um, first rod. She Loomis rep in Southern California. You know, okay. So I had Southern California, Nevada, Arizona, and Hawaii. So, so, so when we talk about that, this is a whole nother. I got a couple questions. I mean, yeah. I know a little bit about yeah. the whole G Loomis thing. So, yeah. Um, when you guys came out with that rod, it was kind of step above, like we talked about earlier, oh, yeah. and everything else. Well, it was the first graphite scrimmed rod. So uh, what that is, is early graphites, you use graphite material, but you would use fiberglass scrim. So, you know, uh, when you have dissimilar materials, you have to use uh, scrim or something. You know, you have to use an agent that's compatible for both. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was usually more of the fiberglass resin type stuff, right? Where... The IMXs were the first ones that were strictly a strictly graphite scrim and graphite material. So we were, they were bonded under higher pressure, mm-hmm. and there you used a resin that was made specifically for graphite. And that's why you were able to feel the difference in the rods. No one was doing that at this time? No, nobody was doing it at that time. Um, so does this go hand-in-hand hand with the whole IM6, IM8? IM6 was a fiberglass scrim. So but, the IMX but, was the first so, graphite scrim. So how does it work, like the rating? Because well, you know when you buy a rod, like right. I go, oh, it's an IM6 or an IM8. What's well, the, can you kind of explain? Yeah, it has to do, okay, the, the early, early graphites, and I fished a lot of prototypes from uh, a lot of different companies back in the old days because I, I fished trout, I fished bass, yeah. I fished everything, right? Yeah. But the, one of the greatest grades of graphite was the IM6 prior to that. But it was a fiberglass scrim rod. The thing that Loomis had was they were rolling under more compression, 
so it's a tighter bond. It's like anything, you know, like fiberglass, it was rolled at a lot less compression. So that meant that the resin content was heavier. Mm -hmm. Okay, the best analogy I can give you, you got a surfboard, mm -hmm. okay? You, put, you get a surfboard, it's fiberglass cloth. You put the resin on real thick, real heavy, right? That board is now heavier. Mm -hmm. It's going to be less responsive, okay? Now, if you squeegee that thing dry, mm -hmm. it's going to be stronger and lighter. Well, and it's going to be, it's going to perform much higher, right? Well, that's the same analogy that we use okay. you know, with that. But when you went graphite to graphite, it was a game changer. Because when I was doing shows for like In Fisherman and Fish in the West and Roland Martin, all these guys, were, they came out to do shows. And that was the thing I wanted to do. You know, these guys would point their fingers, oh, they got them on trout and stuff like that. I go, you know, up yours. You know, so I said, you this is what we're going to do. We're going to show it to them. We'll put it in your face, literally. I see what you're saying. You said, fuck you. <laughs> Uh, kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, you got to prove your point. Well, that and that's why we did it. We did. I yeah. did it because it showed, it legitimized that. And, you know, the guy said, well, listen, we can't run that much film, that much footage all the time. I says, you don't have to. I says, I'll let you know before I get bit. He says, well, how are you going to do that? I says, my crowdhead tells me. Mm -hmm. You know, they have a panic thump, and they have one there. It's a, a cadence where it's thump, 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 where they're swimming down. Mm -hmm. When they're panicked, it's you can tell it. It's crazy. Yeah. You pop in a freeze. I says, all right, turn the camera on. Get ready. And sure enough, we'd get the hook set, the whole deal. And so, you know, that technology and the, the rod design with the, you know, the graphite scram made a huge difference. It enabled us to do that. Prior to that, you couldn't do that. You know? Yeah. You know, they would either do a hook set, a fake hook set, and do this. And I said, no, I'm not staging anything. You're going to do it live, and we're not going to stage anything. You know, <laughs> and so how did you know that? Did you, they try to get you to do it before? Well, they, they would do that with other shows, okay. and I just refused. I wouldn't do them. Yeah, I tell yeah. them I can't. I'm not doing that. Yeah. yeah no, I'm sure they probably still do it to yeah. this day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they do. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's hard, to, and especially the money that they're putting out with these oh, yeah. crews now. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> I, you know what? I, I dance to a different tune. You know, I'm sorry. That's the way it, you know. So, uh, you guys had the, so it was IM. They X, had an IMX that made IMX, that change, okay. and then it gravitated to a GLX. And now there's a lot of other things out there. And it, um, the rods that I'm building right now with Semperfish, I kind of branched off on my own. We're doing our own. Is his son, is Gary's son Gar rolling them? Gary's son is rolling them oh, for cool. me. Brad's like a little brother. You know? <laughs> and here's the, here's the big thing that sets him apart is all those years, Brad, Paul Murkowski, I mean, even my brother before he went back into running boats. Mm -hmm. Steve was working back in the machine, machine shop with Brad and Paul and those guys. Okay. Well, they were building all the machinery for Lama Glass, Loomis, Edge, Talon, uh, you know, uh, all those guys mm -hmm. up there, right? So Brad's the machinery he's running my stuff with is rolling under even more compression. So that's going to give you wow. an even stronger laminate. Yeah, and tighter and a, and a more a stronger blank. So you'll see blanks that are lighter, stronger, and when you do that, all the performance part goes into the lift. So they're going to lift a mm -hmm. lot quicker too. Cast for you know, there's a lot of advantages to that. It becomes a technical. Part. It's a your rod's going to be uh, blanks and yeah, a factory. Yes, rod, absolutely. Factory. Okay. And I think I showed you some of these innovative. Uh, uh, handles and yeah. things that we're doing. You can doing talk that. about them. We got a young yeah. film, so if you want to talk about yeah. what you bring. we haven't seen them, but this is this is one that we're probably going to use for a trout. It's it's as you can feel that it's almost like a yeah, it feels like a neoprene. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's unbelievable, but it won't crush. Yeah. Okay. Um, this particular material 
is graphite. Mm-hmm. It's got texture. Now, I tried some of these on my eight-day trip. I like this better because it's got a, a solid feel. You could put it on the rail. You could put it on the rail. Try yeah. to crush it. It won't crush. <laughs> but it doesn't weigh anything. And it's stronger. It's lighter. It's got the texture. Yeah. So it's going to help with the performance of the rod. Um, this, the Get Bass guys might like. It's mm-hmm. a little different. I thought it was too slick for the ocean. Mm-hmm. We had I had this on some of the rods too, the prototypes. Um, it's got the look. It's got a phenomenal look. To yeah, it, you know. Yeah, and I think the bass guys will go for that, you know. But and then here's something that this particular material has been around for a long time, done you know with a lot of different companies. The problem they have is the foam core that they had and the outside was breaking down because they were putting these things in rod holders. And mm-hmm. so when it gets bent, it's compressing this area, right? And so it's breaking loose. Okay. This thing here? Not going to happen. <laughs> you can step on it. Yeah. You know? So yeah. we're going to f- be the first ones to have this particular wow. material. So when I'm the prototypes I'm running, mm-hmm. we're going to run all these different handles. And I'm going to let the – we'll either give them the option of doing whatever they want or we'll pick a couple that we know will be the best. And you're also going to sell blanks, too. That, we'll have blanks and, wow. and the rods. Yeah, and I'm going to do, you know, I'm not going to skimp with anything, you know, after working, you know, helping setting the bar at Lewis, you know, that uh, a lot of these guys will say, well, this is just like a Fuji or just like, you know what, I'm using all the best titaniums. We're going to use we the best stuff in the market. And mm-hmm. uh, just set, I want to set the bar that way. Yeah. You know, because do you feel like when You feel like... You kind of uh, go after, like, Loomis, what they had? Like, that was kind of what you portray yourself after? Yeah, well, we just want to build the best. Yeah. Want to build the best. And I'm, I'm starting out with things that I, you know, I think that we can impact the industry with right away. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't want to go into the mainstream bass. I know I eventually I'm going to end up doing it. <laughs> you know, I'll do specialty rods. Uh-huh. And I think if we take away the niches, you know, then little by little we'll have the whole deal. But, you know, we're starting with... My trout, because that's what I started <laughs> with when I was four years old, you know? Yeah. So we got that dialed in. One of the things unique about that is, okay, you're going to see the unique handles and, and different things, but it's also the concept. I'm going to have 7.5, 8, a 7.5, a 7, 7.5, and an 8-footer that we're building. Mm-hmm. But each one of those has a, 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 the same butt section, but there's four interchangeable tips. So in other words, if you wanted to build a, a rod, that fishes one, two-pound lines, mm-hmm. you pick our number one tip. If you want to fish two to three-pound lines, you fish a, a number two tip. So it's if like a two-piece rod? Oh, yeah. It's two-piece trout rod. But you get to choose. You change the tips. Oh, so that's well, you, kinda... well, you will buy the tip that you want. Can, you, can I buy the tip? Like, say, I just you, you keep the same base, but you can buy the oh, yeah. tips. Yeah. You can oh, do that, too. that's nice. Too. That yeah. way, you know, and, and like the pro staff I have, these young kids, these guys are they're real go-getters, and they get it. Mm-hmm. And most of these guys want long rods. They want eights. And now, because of their demand, I've got a nine-footer and a nine-and-a-half coming down, yeah. which will also make, like, Southern California surf rods, right? Or steelhead salmon rods, too. Yeah. Oh, I so love do that. The, that my same Claris was my there you go. first one, and then I wrapped an MHX. I bought a steelhead rod, and yeah. I wrapped it myself. There you go. And that was my surf rod forever. There you go. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what we'll be doing. Yeah. But you could pick your tip. So, like, even my, my four-power, my... My three power would probably be a, a, a solid four pound rod for okay. that's a normal trout yeah. fishing, right? Yeah. And then the the number four tip would be a four to six pound kind. Okay. Of, you know, so you you have different options. So out of the three 
a seven, seven and a half, and eight, you've got 12 different options. Yeah. Depending on specific bait. Because I do understand that depending on the bait you're utilizing, whether you're throwing a, a chunk of metal, you're throwing a little mini iron. Yeah. Or you're throwing a, a, a mini jig. Mm -hmm. Or you're throwing bait with a sliding sinker or something, a drop shot. Each one has a specific application. Yes. Yeah. So that's why I'm designing it for that that purpose. It's going to be for the serious guys. Yeah. You know, they'll yeah. Those guys already know. They, they know. I don't <laughs> right. have to tell them. Yeah, these yeah, guys they got know what it. they want, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so after the bassing, did you really get big into the offshore thing? I've all well, that was my business. <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that was my business. Well, you know, that was the, that was a thing that was pretty amazing because number one to blaze graphite and salt water that was unheard of back in those days yeah. they go are you crazy no we're not using it it's gonna break blah mm -hmm. blah blah well it won't it won't if you have a fisherman that knows what he's doing yes you know somebody that's not gonna high stick you know somebody that will take it's gonna recoil so much quicker you're gonna put a fish on quicker you know and uh, you're gonna cast the bait further because it's lighter you mm -hmm. know so once that got going Gilemas just took off in salt water back then, mm -hmm. and that's why yes, we're going, we're going salt water, and there's a reason for it. Yeah, you know, it's performance, strictly performance. But at the same time, you know, and back then it was more stand-up fishing. You know, right now the thing we have to build for too is the rail, because we understand that you know that's where it's at. <laughs> that's why some of these new materials are going to be dynamite. Not only are they light, they you know you can you can complement a smaller reel, you know. That's got more power. I'm using a lot of the like the new Valiants that uh, you know Accurate's putting on mm -hmm. stuff. They're light, but they're powerful. You know? Okay. So it's got a great complement because you can. They're. It's not cumbersome, like picking up a old fifty wide or something. You know, yeah. need, <laughs> doing one of these casts right where you, you, you know, you're worried about throwing the reel and rod overboard because it's so heavy. Yeah. But now you fish it like you would a bait stick, right? So. You get the lighter reels complemented with the the rods. You know, I'm using, um, you know, accurates on my saltwater. I'm using old uh, Daiwa freshwater trout rod, you know, okay. trout reels, you know. So they, they complement each other perfectly, yeah. you know. So that's, that's, uh, that's where we're at. But, you know, like I say, for each particular uh, fishery, we have different parameters. And you're going to see me coming out with, you'll see them. Uh, yeah. Like at the shows and stuff, we'll be putting them out. But we're going to go into areas that uh, a lot of the rod industry hasn't gone too heavily into. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's just like going to be pretty much like a higher end custom. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what? I'm. Is everything going to be built in America and like it? Uh, it'll be. Are built. you having someone wrap? Yes. Well, Darren though he's done all my you know three ten okay. rod works. He's done all the original stuff. Brad's running everything. All the blanks are made up in Washington okay. at the Patriot Factory. Uh -huh. You know, up there from Brad. So you know, uh, rest assured. We're going to have that. And then when he bought Talon Rods, he gave him all the uh, mandrels to the original Loomis wow. composite. So I can, we can mix and match and I can build whatever <laughs> we want pretty much, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. But, um, yeah, and then uh, production-wise, you know, um, yeah, everything would be made in North America. So That's nice. Yeah. 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 I had a rod uh, that a company that came to me many years ago after I left G. Loomis when Shimano bought him. And it was Black Rock Tackle, and we designed and did a series of saltwater rods. It was my uh, old school guys' rods, right? Mm -hmm. And um, they were they were decent, but they were all, they were made in China, you know. So you had to go through, you had to check them, flex them, you know. Yeah. 
So you they mean when you have issues. to check them, did you have to check every one of them? Yeah, well, they had to. Really? Yeah, they had oh, to check wow. when they came in. You had so many days to reject them if there were flaws and stuff. And uh, so, you know, I, I typically that's well, I want to stay away from. I'm, I'm, that's how many, thing. How I'm many not do bringing you think anything. are flawed out of, like, say, if you get a thousand? It depends many? on the manufacturer. Really? You know, they were starting to get it down pretty good. The problem is, you know, the stuff's coming out of China, and I'm not big on supporting China. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had problems over the years in manufacturing with different companies where they send you, uh, give you an example. There's a company I've rep, I, mean, I won't mention the name, but mm-hmm. they were going after the high-end bass baits. And, you know, you're looking at stuff like made in Japan, like the mega basses and stuff. Yeah. So they would copy it. It looked really good. You put it in a tank, and, you know, like in a, uh, in a tank, you could hear the beads back and forth it's because it's a tungsten you know ball that's in there it's yeah. a click 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 you know so i get these prototypes that come in from china it look exactly like a mega bass and it's going thud 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 <laughs> so we cut it open right it's a lead it's a piece of lead not tungsten, does not have yeah. tungsten sound yeah you know so they cheat on a lot of different things you know which i you know i'm done with that yeah the other thing was they came out with a a knockoff wahoo jig mm-hmm. you know so you know, first thing I asked him, I said, I told him, I said, before you do that, you better through-wire this, because the Wahoo's going to cut right through that, right? Yeah. So through-wire it. So the first thing we do, we do a pressure test, put it hook to hook, we stretch it out, and it blows. Guess what? No wire. So, you know, I do not trust what they do and their integrity, mm-hmm. because they will switch things in production midstream, and so we're going to keep it, you know, made in, the, in North America, you know. Yeah, uh, something where we have control of, and then um, unfortunately, the for, unfortunately and fortunately, the best guys made and the best guys perceived are the Fujis and yeah. the Titaniums. You know, um, they're the standard in the industry set on parts. So I'm not going to mess with it. That's what it's at. That's where <laughs> That's it's what at. you're going to use. That's right? what we're going to yeah. use. You know, I, I've worked for companies that say, "Well, it's just like." Well, I said, catch yourself. What did you just tell me? <laughs> it's just light. It's not the same. Yeah. It, don't tell me it's just light. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to use all quality <laughs> material, you know, you and, it, and right? innovative. So yeah. that's, that's where we're at right now. Yeah, and I bet from the, the whole Loomis thing, too, you learned, got to learn that. Oh, ton. yeah. Were you yeah. doing R&D, too, then? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're doing all the stuff in the field. You know, mm-hmm. and I had the understanding of some of the, the manufacturing things from from the inside there, so it was it, it's been a, a real fun deal going from you know running a boat to going to the sales and everything. You know, I actually used my college education. You know, <laughs> I bet your dad yeah. was happy then. Well, yeah, no, no, it worked out great. Well, you know, it it was so funny because when I got home, I could tell you when I graduated, I lived in Del Mar, and I'm looking out of the ocean, and I'm. I'm I'm talking to God. I'm going, yeah, Lord, what am I going to do the rest of my life? And I'm looking at the ocean. I go, huh, that's it. I want to fish, right? (laughs) So I go home, and my pop says, I had two business opportunities. He goes, what are you going to do? I says, I'm going to go work as a deckhand on a boat. And he fell out of the chair laughing, you know. I said, no. He goes, no, really, what are you going to do? I said, that's what I'm going to do, Dad. Yeah. And he goes, you got to be kidding me. I said, no. And I came down about five blocks from here to Norm's Landing, Mm -hmm. and the guy that, uh, one of the guys that uh, his brother-in-law gave made me one of the business opportunities, you know, proposals. He said, I want you to meet this guy named Taka Tanaka. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I met Taka. So I went down there and I, I went to go work for Taka on the Mustang. And a couple okay. years later, I got my license, you know, and I worked with him. And I was very blessed to be 
weaned under such a great skipper, you know. Yeah. And then along with that came all the good friends like the Russ Isers, the George Mios, you know. And, uh, you know, and then from there, the San Diego, you know, the they make good friends with all the captains down there because we you know we were all hardcore fishermen, you know, and so it it was a blessing. So many years later, and uh, I got off the boat when I was getting married in '92. I said, you know what, I'm done. How you long know? were you doing that for? Well, let's see, since '70 into '75. Wow, that's to, a long time. Uh, I got off the boat in '92 when I got married. Wow. I, you know, but it, we stayed on. We still owned. Uh, we still had the Cherokee, Geisha, the Fortune, the Mustang, and then. Um, so you owned, in, all, you owned all those? Yeah. And then, yeah, it was in 1983. Uh-huh. These, the biologists said that, you know, after El Nino, the ocean's going to die because it was so hot, right? So at that point, Ralph Miller um, kind of panicked, I guess, because, you know, the, if you're listening to the biologists, just like the biologists today, who, they generate their money through grants. Yeah. They didn't know. Okay, you don't know from year to year what's going on yeah. it's out there, right? Yeah. But they said, because the ocean was so hot in El Nino, everything's going to be dead. Well, the kelp died. It did. Yes. The kelp died. And um, what happened was, 84 came along. We're fishing. Albuquerque were starting to run in late May, early June. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had a record year in 84. But in 83, Ralph Miller... At H&M, mm-hmm. kind of panicked, and he sold the landing. My dad and my partners bought H&M oh, wow. and Phil Lowbread, you know. Yeah. And so that's the, we've had the landing since 1983, end of 83. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in 84 was the first year. And we had a record Albuquerque year in 84. After the biologist said everything's going to be dead. Was the guy just kicking himself in the butt going, oh, oh my. Well, you know, you just, and you don't Live know. And learn, yeah. You don't know. Yeah. But then that's also, from that point on, I never believed the thing that biologists would tell me. Really? Because they don't know. You know, yeah. I've been in hearings, for instance, like in Santa Barbara. Uh-huh. Russ Eisner and these guys call me and says, you got to go, you know, do a deposition up in Santa Barbara. I said, what's it about? He says, well, they said the, they're trying to close down these MPLAs. Oh, Russ wasn't around. Russ had okay. passed away by that time. These MPLAs are, you know, going to shut down these closures in these areas. I said, well, when did they do the study? They go, uh, November. I says, well, Yeah. Yeah, you won't find any sand bass up there in November. They're all down Mexico spawning. I mean, what dummies made these things up? Oh, the mm-hmm. biologists out of UC Santa Barbara. <laughs> and I go, well, that, you know, there you go. There you go. What and about yet, the current? Yet that passed. Were you, were you on the board during the current ones, too? No, but I mean, there's... Not the current not ones, the but current, I guess 2011, no. 10, was it? No, no, not at all. No. Not at all. No. I stayed out of that. I got, I got so fed up. I was on the... Um, Inland Fisheries Board for a while with uh, George Kramer and Pat Marley and a bunch of the guys from the industry, uh, some of the fishing game guys. I think Mike Juicy was mm-hmm. on there. But we had a board there. And this is um, hardly late 80s, certainly 90s. And they were ta- we were talking about it at that time because of the zebra mussels, mm-hmm. how we we're going to attack that. So we came up with a proposal for fishing game and these guys to implement to take care of the zebra mussels where you can kind of drive through a thing and flush it, you know, with a solution and then drive out, right? But they never picked up on that. And look what's happened to the zebra mussels. Yeah. You know, so I kind of wash my hands of that, you know. Really? Because it, it, the politics, I'm not good with that, you know. To me, you don't, if it you makes don't feel sense. Like, you don't feel like they really listen to you either. No, they don't. Yeah. They don't, you know. Yeah. And, and you got to remember these, all these lies and stuff that we hear out of the biologists. How do the biologists make their money? Generating grant money from the states and from the 
you know, and from the nation, you mm-hmm. know, and, and federal levels, you know. So I've never been a big one on that. I don't buy anything. I watch guys like Russ Eiser go to fishing game. Uh, when they tour that, we had a viaduct here about a mile and a half away mm-hmm. many years ago. Big concrete structure called the viaduct down by the old fish markets. Mm-hmm. And when they were tearing that down, Russ Eiser went to fishing game and said, hey, why don't you guys take this rubble, you know, all this concrete and everything, go make an artificial reef out there. And because it wasn't <laughs> their idea, fishing game didn't, didn't do it. You know what Riser's Reef is, right? Yes. Okay. So Russ funded it himself, put it on barges. They put it out there. No now, Iser's Reef is its own ecosystem. Yeah. Squid yeah. spawn on it. It's phenomenal, right? And it's nice and jaggedy, so you can't persane on it and stuff like that, <laughs> right? But here you go. Again, once again, you know, you got guys like Russ that were... How do you, how do you get it, it to work? Like, how do you get people to to listen or that's a good one like you know i don't know that we've ever figured that out you know other than i'm going to tell you i don't listen to biologists and i i can give you more examples Uh i can give you an example you know cow cod being closed down yeah so when i used to commercial fish in the and and sport fish at san nick clement Uh you know uh out at cherry bank cortez tanner okay you would get the the cows in usually over 100 fathoms you know, maybe some as high as 80-something, right? And then they close it down. They say, uh, oh, you know, they're getting depleted, right? Well, you know, who's closing it down? Biologists. <laughs> same morons that shut down, you know, that, that said the ocean's going to die in 83 and the whole deal, right? So, you know, my brother's doing this thing on the outer limits, and they have a contract with NOAA, right? Okay. And they were doing studies on cow cod. So... The problem with when they catch cow cod and they bring it up, they blow, right? Yeah. The tongue comes, you know, yeah. the bladder comes out, blows out. So now they got decompression chambers on these things, okay? And they decompress it so they can catch and release it. And they have them living at SeaWorld at sea level, you know, at, and La Jolla at Scripps too, wow. right? Yeah. At sea level. Yeah. Okay? So here, now they, they'll do studies on them. For instance, they'll tag one, they'll get one on the 43-fathom spot, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're talking about 38 miles or so out, right? Okay. Between Clemente and uh, right? Now, how far do you think? You know, you know the shape of uh, Calcutts like me, right? <laughs> I'm not doing any long-distance running or wind sprints, okay? And so you go, okay, how far will it go? Maybe it'll go to the east end of Clemente. Maybe the 60 yeah. mile. Nah, that's the kind of a, you know, it seems like a rush, right? So like a week and a half or something like that later, you know where they tagged that? You know where the thing showed up where? with the tag on? Out by Conception. No way. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. We don't know. God, if yeah. we don't know, you think the biologists know? Not yeah. No. So they're instituting these, these, these laws and things, and they don't know. You know? Russ Eiser once told me, even back in the 70s, he says, you know, we got a glut of black sea bass, you know? And... And there are, you know, last. When did they close years. Black Sea Bass? Oh God, I can't even remember. Really, I can't even remember. Were you All catching them before when you were? Oh, you you would you would get you catch them. You you'd hook them. Yeah. You know, you'd have a wide open calico bite at Clementi, and all of a sudden it just shut off like a f- switch. And black there was a black one. Yeah, your guy would hang us calico winding up a calico. All of a sudden he gets spooled. Well, guess what? You know, <laughs> and we'd see them. You know, but there's just a glut of them. What they really do is they should manage them rather than just do a closure. 
they should harvest them. Sell tags like you would a deer tag or an elk tag. Oh, that's and, a good and idea. Keep, you know, and keep the population down because now, you know, the last several years I've caught like three, and that's not fishing much either. Yeah. But yeah. I got one on the horseshoe, one locally at Furman. I got one at Catalina. You know, yeah. these are all 15 to 30 pounders. But, but that's a, a great idea, a though, like for you to say oh, like yeah. to tag, have a tag for it. So that, if you do catch a good one. Yeah. They're probably delicious too, right? Yeah, and think how big a 300 pound sea bass. Do you think oh. how many sheephead and calicos and whitefish and everything else do they eat? Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 So, you know, but that's the problem when you leave it to politics. Yeah. You know, it's a huge problem. Well, don't you think the CCA kind of does help us somewhat, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And those poor guys have to fight against these idiot biologists and stuff <laughs> and politicians that don't know their head from blanket to blanket. They need your help, man. Yeah. What are yeah. you doing? They, oh, no, they need no. you. I got, too much, I got too Not much no of a more. temper for that. <laughs> I want to grab them and throw them overboard, you know. Shake, shake them. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's where, that's where I'm at with that. But yeah, it's very it's interesting stuff, man. Like, you know, you, sometimes you just don't think about it. And you've seen so many changes in the fishing industry. Oh. You've been doing it forever, man. Yeah. Did oh, you yeah. ever get into throwing big swim baits? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had some of the first ones, the TNTs and stuff. Really? And actually... Um, so, like, for instance, after you caught your crawfish, when did Butch catch, start catching his big little swim baits? Let me tell you something. Butch has been doing this a long time because when I'd come down from the main lake, I'd see Butch's boat down there on Lagoon every day. He's put in his time. There's nobody better than him, you know. And you know what's you. a great thing to hear, too, is that both you guys were hunting for that that big bass. Oh yeah! But you guys are both big saltwater guys too. Oh yeah! You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. well, you know what? A good fisherman, from trout to bass to saltwater, whatever it might be. I even, I even, I hate to say it, I even fly fish. Really? If they'll eat the fly, I'll fish it. <laughs> but you know, I used to get these things from these fly guys that go. You know, I I go up to Montana. I, I stay at this lodge. It's beautiful. I'd rather sip fine wine out of real crystal at the lodge than catch fish i says that's because you don't know how to fish you know so don't give me that excuse you know <laughs> but i used to go i used to fly fish when yeah. they bite, bite a fly i love fishing a fly yeah but you know what i like catching fish catching releasing i don't eat them so you know on especially on those things you know there's certain fish i do i do i will keep yeah but you know it, it's it's something that over time it'll grow on you I just don't like that big fish processing bill I get nowadays, so I let a lot more go than yeah, I used to. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah. But you were throwing swim baits at the time at Acoustic. Yeah, some of them some. were the real um, TNT made one. It was okay. like the original. It's like uh, Alan Cole's. I got one of Alan Cole's okay. that he numbered. Um, that there's just some things about Alan that you know he, he came to me and gave this to me, and I have it. He numbered it and signed it and everything. That's cool. I, I have it, but. There's things that Alan did that I wasn't uh, big on. Okay. Yeah. 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 But, you know, he was one of the first innovators, you know, taking a chunk of wood and putting a joint on it. And, yeah. Uh, a plastic tail. Some of the the early ones are crude. He was just using, you know, like the first <laughs> swim bait tails. So it was yeah. chovy colored tails and yeah, stuff like that, you yeah. know. But, but you know, it, it, the action was good. It was, you know. But the innovators always came out of the guys from California, you know. Yeah. Later on, I, I uh, worked for a company called Spro which was part of so Gamakatsu. Did you work with Bill Semental at the time? Well, yeah, Bill worked. Yeah, he was. He would. Okay. They brought him on board as okay. a representative. Yeah, but I had already hung up my bass rods. Okay. But yeah, when they did the the BB ones. Yeah. Yeah, the BBZs yeah. or whatever yeah. it was called. Yeah. 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 I have all the prototypes. Oh wow. Yeah. 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 I had cool. him on. The beginning of COVID, I think I had him on. Mm. He did mm-hmm. a call, and he had a good. Yeah, he had a good one. Yeah. To all the stories, it was great. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. He was. I didn't see him much 
back. He was, I think he was a little younger. Okay. I didn't see him a whole lot, you know, when I was fishing. I was there all the time, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you get to see all those yeah. guys. Man, but bet. Butch I saw every day when I I came up, come down from the upper lake, and I'd see him down there, <laughs> that black boat, and, you know. And one day I, I took my prop off, I went down there, and I said, I'm going to go out there and go, you know, can go go harass <laughs> her, go harass but are you kidding he left me in the dust i got so far i'd have to see the binoculars where it was even i can't stay that boat's fast oh right? it's so fast it's loaded with batteries and these butch has it down nobody has you know butch butch has it down nobody can touch him let me tell you great fisherman yep yeah yeah well, thanks, Danny, for coming on. Oh, you're man. I feel like you Thank have you. a lot of history. Maybe we can do another one sure, down the line. Sure, There's You got no a lot reason. to say. Um, let's plug your rods where they can reach you at. Sure. It, well, it's Semperfish. They're Semperfish rods. Uh, basically, catch us on Instagram. Okay. Yeah, catch us on Instagram. Great. My daughter handles most of the PR because I'm <laughs> totally illiterate when it comes to the computers and stuff. So Yeah, so yeah. when do you think you're going to have a full drop? Well, this should be any day now, actually. Really? We got, okay. They're just tweaking some of these handles now for that. Um, I've got uh, uh, the first run of saltwater stuff. It'd be inshore stuff. Great. It'd be chemical rods, nine footers, and stuff like that. Right We're coming down alley. next, and then we'll we'll have those with a, a variety of these handles. So wow, you'll sounds you'll like get, a good You'll deal. see them out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Again, appreciate it, cool. man. You're welcome. All Thank right. you. All right.